0: You are listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org Okay, you guys can open your Bibles again over to Galatians chapter three. We're going to hopefully get into the beginning of chapter four today. Um, that's what I thought last week, but we're we're going today. we are We are moving forward. Uh, I am going to go back though and uh, begin reading here in uh, chapter 3 verse 23 just because there are some of these terms that we studied over the last couple of weeks that are really going to come forward into today's uh, teaching. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 3 verse 23. I'm reading right now from the New International Version. Uh, It says, before this faith came, so he's talking about before the opportunity existed to uh, enter into relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, all right? Before this this faith came, this translation says, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So last week and the week before, we dug into that terminology and saw that two of the purposes of the law, uh, one was it kept us in, what well, that word means, uh, it says locked up here, it means protective custody, It protected people. It kept things online toward the coming of Messiah. So that was one of the, and and actually the other idea is kind of the same. When it talks about a guardian, we looked at that word. It's translated schoolmaster in some of your translations. It was the person that was in charge of getting the kids to school safely. Okay, And later it became somebody who gave some lessons, but the main purpose was to get them where they were going safely. So the law had those roles before Christ came. Uh, in verse twenty six it says, "You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what we looked at last week. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ uh, as we i guess i 'm on the wrong slide, Ernie um, so these were the verses we looked at last week, and we talked about, and this is where we 're going this week. We talked about the fact that we 're talking about freedom in Christ, what is freedom as opposed to legalism? What is grace?" as opposed to a life of works. And uh, we talked about there's an object, there's a purpose to the freedom that the Lord has given us. It's not, it's, and it's not, it has nothing to do with lawlessness. It has nothing to do with it, the ideas that are floating around the body today that sin doesn't matter, nothing matters. What, you know, how I live doesn't matter. Those are not biblical. They're, they're not God's intention. His intention is that we grow in this freedom into a place of what we're what we're calling it's a sonship relationship and we made the point last week from these verses that term sons that you is used in the scripture it applies to men and women equally it is a it is it is a the definition of that greek term is a an adult son an adult because in that culture that's who it was but it is an adult person who has grown up and is in partnership with the Father in the business. They have responsibility. They have authority. That's where the Lord wants us to go. That is what sonship is, and we're going to talk more about that today. He's restoring us to the, his original purpose and design for mankind, to be his stewards in the earth, to be in partnership with him in the earth. He is bringing us back to all of that through Christ. So again, it says, and I'll just emphasize this again, if you want more in this, uh, we talked about this the whole time last week. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you, he's talking to believers. He's talking to men and women here. Okay, He's talking to uh, people of various backgrounds. He makes that real clear here. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And he says it, there is neither Jew nor Greek. That has to deal with ethnicity, with race, with all of those things. There is neither slave nor free. That deals with class differences, rich, poor. Powerful, weak, all of those things. There is in Christ, there's not Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. And again, we said it doesn't mean we stop being male and female, it doesn't mean that those roles don't matter, but it means our position in God and in the kingdom of God and what He calls us to and what He gifts us to be is not based on those natural elements. Anybody, male, female, Jew, Greek, slave, free, If you've made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, that's the one thing that matters in entering the kingdom of God and taking up your role in the kingdom of God is that you've made Jesus the Lord of your life. If you've been baptized into Christ, then all of you, okay, all of you become we sons of God, adult children who partner with the family, okay, partner with the Father in his operation, in his business on earth. It's what, that, it's what that word means. So again, it says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. All right, if you belong to Christ, that's the emphasis there. So we talked a lot about that. Last week, and you know, the the question came up. Okay, so if my role and my position—and this is going to be a very brief description of this—my role and my position in the body, if it's not based on me being a man or a woman, a Jew or a Greek, slave or free, any of those natural differences uh, that we have, it's not based on that. What is that based on? What is my? I'm going to use the word calling. We need to take that term. Out of the idea of just someone called to full-time ministry, because that's just one calling, all of us have a calling. There is a, there is a divine design for each of us. And the Lord has put things in you. He's put gifts in every one of us to have a role in what he's doing in the earth. And so that, and and he calls that. As we come to, he calls us to himself and then he invites us. That term calling is a combination of the idea of an invitation and a summons, okay? Invitation because he's your father, summons because he's the king, okay? And it's that idea, you're called into something. Well, that is by, the Bible makes it really clear. And again, we're not gonna study this. I'm just gonna tell you, you can study it out on your own. It makes it really clear that our calling is first of all it is by grace it is not by works it is not by the interesting thing is that for a lot of us here we are this this body of Christ we're brought into this family and the bible makes it really clear that we're this multifaceted body we talked a couple weeks ago about how unity in the kingdom of god is diversity in harmony and and it's not it's not all being the same it's not uniformity it's it's we're all diverse we have different gifts we have different passions and desires that godly ones is what i'm talking about and and the Lord moves through all those. So so he creates us, he gifts us, he gives us a design, he brings us into the kingdom. And then he begins to stir up those gifts. And we begin to walk in those desires and those giftings. And so it's first of all by grace. It is by his choice. It is his free gift. It is his free calling to us to be whatever part of the body we might be and uh and on top of that, it's by gifting, and a lot of times this is what's curious to me is that our gifting in the body of Christ and what God calls us to do is not necessarily involved with our natural talent or ability or vocation and a lot of I think we make a lot of mistakes with that. we think, well, because this person does this in the world well, then they automatically should do that in the body. Not necessarily, maybe. Sometimes those things line up because they're usually functioning in the world because they have that gifting and that desire and that passion to do such and such. And so when they come into the body, that thing keeps working. But a lot of times he'll have somebody doing something completely different than what they do in the world. And we need that Because the anointing of God, the presence of God, the power of his life, it flows through those gifts, not so much through our natural talents. So if you just come in and you say, oh, well, you know, I I do this in the world, so you should put me in charge of that in the church. Maybe, maybe not. And we all need to be sensitive to that in one another. We're here to, we want to draw upon the gifts of God that are in one another because that's how we draw upon His life. That's how I mean we draw on Him directly. But I mean, as far as through one another, you know, we want anointed people working in the nursery. People who have a there's a there's a spiritual gifting to pour into those babies, pour into the children. Uh, spiritual gifting to to do whatever it is. We really desire. I mean, obviously, worship is just an obvious place. You can have talented musicians who are not called to be involved in worship. And if all we do is look at the talent and we say, oh, you know, you got to be up here. Then we really miss a piece. We can have really great music, but the life of God flowing through it, the presence of God in the place, it's going to be different. Okay. I could talk about that for a long time, but, but the question came up. So if it's not by these things that we are, um, you know chosen and raised up in the body, then what is it by it's by grace it's by gifting, we could talk about some other things, but your so your place in the body, your place in the kingdom, it might line up with your natural you know your natural bent, it very well might or it might not, so we need to pray through those things on both ends of the equation all right, so let's go on let's go into chapter four, so keep. Those things in mind that the law was a guardian, that the law was there to protect us, that the law was there to move us forward, that that the Old Testament laws people lived under that it was the best thing there was. Okay, it was the best there was at the time. But now we're in the new covenant. Now we have something. We have a new covenant, a better covenant based on better promises. The Book of Hebrews tells us. So in Galatians chapter four, let's look at the first couple of verses. This just there's so much in these verses. We'll just. See how much we can get in this morning. So uh, verse one says, Paul speaking of course here, he says, what I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, notice that word child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. So, it, So as a child, he owns the whole estate, but he's no different than a slave in the household. So you just gotta, you know, put aside all the slavery stuff and realize this is the way it worked in those households. There were children that were born into the house. There were slaves that were purchased for the house to serve there, but lived off of the wealth of the house. There were other slaves, like we talked about, that were bond servants. They had been set free, but they chose out of love for the family to serve in that household. They all fed, so to speak, off the wealth of the house, all right? There was a dependence on what was in the house there, but some were natural born children, some were slaves. So he says, as long as the heir is a child, what he's saying is his experience, his, uh, his, his life is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate, all right? He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So what Paul's doing here is he's contrasting this idea of being a child with the idea of being a son. Everybody see that? He's contrasting those two ideas. And he's, uh, so this idea of a child was the idea of a person who was living under the law. They had faith toward God, but they were living under the Old Testament law as opposed to us in the New Testament who are now children of God and living in the power of grace. This is going to be, real clear as we look at this a little bit more. This term child is not at all the same as that term that we just looked at for son, okay? It's a different word, different Greek word. It's the Greek word, we've talked about it before, nepios, N-E-P-I-O-S, and it it speaks of an unweaned infant, okay? So this is a baby. And it says, you know, for his, his comparison is, for those who were on the other side of the cross, living under the law, their, their role, their, their uh, life, it was like being an unweaned baby. What does that mean? There was no real inherent power within them. Babies don't have the power to take care of themselves, to provide for themselves, to make choices for themselves. They're babies, right? They are totally dependent on outside resources. And that's how the law was. You, you were dependent on that outward regulation to get you to a place where Messiah would come. Israel In Israel, they had faith forward toward Messiah coming. Those who, who lived uh, for God, who walked with God, their faith was forward looking for Messiah coming. We on the other side of the cross, our faith is toward what Jesus already did, and provided through what he did at the cross. All right, both are faith, but they were living under an outward regulation. We are living from an inward presence of the Holy Spirit. And we've already looked at the scriptures. We end up fulfilling the heart and spirit of the law from the inside. God changes our hearts. We live it from the inside. All right. So so he's using this analogy to describe the difference between living under the outward restriction of the law as opposed to the inward power of grace. We've talked about this a lot of times, but we look at the we look at and again I just bring it down to the 10 commandments there's much more than that to the law, but but we bring it down to we think, "Oh, you know, that was real that could feel restrictive or something. Actually, the New Testament, remember Jesus did this teaching and he said, you know, uh, you're you're told under the law, don't murder. Okay, And, and most of us have avoided that so far in our lives. You know, as much as we might want to sometime in traffic or something, you know, we've avoided actually murdering somebody. But Jesus, under grace now he says, don't be angry in your heart. Don't hold anger in your heart. It's a greater requirement. Why? Because grace empowers us to actually do what the Lord wants. There's life in us. There's power in us in the New Testament. Whether we give ourselves to that or not, that's a whole other question. But it's there. Grace empowers. Whereas law just sets a regulation he said, it's, you heard it said, don't commit adultery. Okay. He said, don't even look at a woman to lust. Okay. It's a higher requirement. Why? Because we can do it, but not on our own, but by the power of the Holy Spirit within us, by the power of grace. Grace empowers. So Paul is bringing uh, all of that out, saying." You know, what, what I'm trying to say to you is that under the law, you had to have these guardians. You were kept in protective custody. But now your children, now, now your sons, now your heirs, now you're in a whole different position. And I want to I wanna talk to, I just kind of want to step off of this for a second. And I was, I was thinking about this and I was, I was thinking about the fact that there's a biblical principle that shows up in a lot of different ways uh, that is alluded to here, and that 's the idea that it's it's we want to take hold of something that has been laid up for us in christ it, it's there's this principle of there is tremendous blessing and um fellow, it it runs the gamut from an incredible offer of what Christ, let me say it a different way. Christ has made a provision for a deep, intimate relationship with God. Not just a religious experience, not just God out here and we do our ritual, an intimate relationship with God. Christ has made, he has laid up for us a deep, intimate prayer life and an effectual, powerful prayer life. He has laid up for us uh, not just knowing the regulations of the word of God, but actually feeding and and having revelation from the word working in our life and changing who we are. He has laid up for us purpose and satisfaction and blessing in this life. He has laid up, he has made the way for us to live free from sin and its destruction and to go very deep in in many, many things with him and what we need to understand is what is laid up for us, what did, what did Paul say? He said, when, when uh, what did he say? <laughs> as long as the heir is a child, a baby, he is no different from a slave. Okay, although he actually owns the whole estate. So here's a picture of an infant technically speaking, that infant is an heir, owns the whole estate, okay? Owns everything the father owns, but he's living under guardians. He's living under supervision. Why? Because he's a baby, okay? And the same thing is true of us as we come to Christ and we are, the Bible says, we are born again spiritually. We are brand new. We're born as babies, but the intent is that we grow into responsible adults in Christ. That doesn't mean we stop depending on him, but it means we begin to function with him and take the responsibility that he gives us and assigns to us and and begin to expand his kingdom on this earth and minister to people and you know pray for people, bless people, give to people, do all the things we do as Christians. But we begin to rise up into this adult role in the family. So there's all this tremendous potential already laid up for us in Christ. And for every one of us, our walk with God is very much about growing in him, growing toward more maturity in him, and, and that involves, you know, learning how to discern his voice and, and going, you know, deeper into prayer and, and just being responsible in Christ over our lives. Does this make sense to you? There's this growing process and the Holy Spirit's working that between the Spirit and the Word in our lives all the time. We're supposed to be growing up into that so that we can not only take hold of more of what he has provided for us, but we can release and give away more of what he's provided for us. We grow in our understanding of the fact that Jesus took stripes on his back so that we can be healed. And that healing and health is laid up for us in Christ. It is laid up. The scripture over in Ephesians, it says, all Uh, All the spiritual blessings, all of it is laid up for us in Christ. So it's, I, I hate this terminology, but I still don't have a better way to say it. It is like we have a heavenly account. Like God has made this huge deposit for us in Christ. Not just for us to take, not just for us to go make withdrawals and take and spend on ourselves, but for us to be effective, for us to live for him in the earth, for us to have for the kingdom of God to expand in the earth for his influence to be genuinely really felt in the earth. And so a part of our growing up is to begin to tap into all of that by faith and walk with him and and begin to learn what it is that, that he, what does he want to do in my sphere of influence and the people that I know in this earth, how does he want to approach people? What does he want to say to people? How does he want me just to serve people? All of that is something that as we grow up, we begin to take, take hold of. Does so this make sense to you? Um, babies wait for provision to drop into their lap. Okay, Babies wait for us to feed them. Babies wait for us to change them. And that's okay. They're babies. It's okay. But mature sons go to the fridge. Mature sons go to where things are stored up. And they might even, as they mature, get something for somebody else in the family. They might ask, do you want some lemonade, mom? You're sitting in the living room. Could I get you something while I'm up? Could I cook you a meal? You know, I mean, that's a part of maturity. If you're, you know, if you're not raising your kids to be on a path of taking more and more responsibility in life, you're hamstringing your kids for life. And especially as believers, our kids need to be growing up and they need to be looking for what can I do? Where can I serve? Where can I pour out? And it's, it's, this is all part of this idea of, of growing up in him. All of us, there's this tremendous amount of blessing that is stored up for us. None of us have taken fully hold of it yet. We're all growing in all of that. But the idea is, you know, uh, we're supposed to be praying, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that's a lot different than what we're seeing a lot of the time. So we have a ways to go. And we want to learn how to become mature children who take that responsibility. I was thinking about when I was a kid, I, one of the ones I remember the best was mowing the lawn. We had several acres of lawn. And at that time, we did have power mowers, so that was nice. But there were push mowers, And uh, oh, I was so anxious to be big enough to get to mow the lawn rethought that one pretty quick after after a few rounds of that it was fun the first time but but you know that was something i couldn't do yet i couldn't take hold of that i couldn't take that responsibility my dad was a surgeon he didn't want to have to reattach a hand or a foot or anything so you couldn't do that yet but then there came a point where you started to be given that responsibility in a supervised fashion and then pretty soon it was your responsibility for better or for worse and then what you really want is for you not to have to tell the kid every time the lawn needs to be cut. What you really are looking for is for that child to grow up and begin to, on their own, realize, you know what, as a, part of the, as a member of the family, I have this responsibility. We're a family. We all live here. Well, the grass needs to be cut. I'll go out and do that without having to be told, right? I mean, isn't that where you want them to go? You don't want them to have to be served all of their life, right? And it's the same. So that whole principle applies to all of this idea about being uh, sons of God and growing into this. So so he's, again, I'll just read it one more time. So he says, you know, as long as the heir is a baby, he's no different than a slave, although he owns the whole estate, all right? So it's in potential that he owns the whole estate, but he's living in the same way as anybody else. He's under guardians and all of that. And, and it says, verse 3 says, So also, are you still with me? So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. All right. Now, this is interesting because this word slavery right here, it doesn't mean a position of service. I'm not quite sure why it's translated slavery, but the word doesn't mean a position of service. It it means that it's a person who has a complete dependence on something. It's that aspect of a, a slave in the house in that day fed from the house. He, he didn't earn anything on his own. He wasn't earning. He ate from the wealth of the house. All right, so so when he, when he says we were in slavery, we were dependent upon, is what you kind of need to read there. The basic principles of the world world that phrase is a term that means the most foundational components of a thing. The building blocks for somebody for something that could literally be translated the ABCs. Okay, if you remember back to when you started, you know, they started teaching you I don't know if they still do it the same way you would think. But anyway, uh, when they started teaching us how to write uh, the language, the first thing we learned was the ABCs, right? You had to learn the letters because those were the most basic component of learning the written language. Then we started learning how to put them together into words. We started learning, you know, cat and dog and, you know, little words. Then we started learning how to put those into sentences and some of us are still working on that. But, you know, we learned how to do paragraphs and grammar. Some of us are definitely still working on that and, and all of that. But, you know, it, it went that way. You've got to learn the, the basics. If you learned chemistry, how many of you in here took chemistry? Good, just a couple because I didn't and I'm going to say this anyway. So so my assumption is that you probably learned the elements And then you learn how some of those elements go together into compounds and how they react with one another and and what those compounds, how they're different from the elements. And, you know, you learn the basics and then you start to learn how that applies and and what everything's made of. Is that close? Yeah, close enough. Perry says that was perfect. Uh, (laughs) So, but you get the idea. That's what Paul's saying here is before We could come to Christ and have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of us. Before that, people were dependent on really one of two things. Because he's talking here to he and his team and, and some of the people in those churches were Jews. And so they were dependent on the law. And he's calling the law the most basic building blocks of an understanding of God. The law does reveal to us the Ten Commandments, again, reveal the nature of God to us. We've talked about it a million times. He says, don't murder. Why? Because he's not a murderer. You know, he's, he's not covetous. He doesn't steal. You know, all of these different things. So, Paul's saying that when before the Holy Spirit came into our lives, we were dependent on either the law, if you were a Jew, or philosophies of the world. And a lot of the people he's talking to were Greeks. And what they had as a moral compass and, and all of that were philosophies from the world. And Paul deals with that throughout his writings. And, and so he goes down, jump down with me to, um, I don't have it on your screen, jump down to verse 8, Galatians 4, 8 through 11. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not God's. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back? And of course, this is what he's talking to the Galatian church about. How are you turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Isn't that a weird way to talk about the law? I mean, it's and Jesus made it clear, Paul made it clear. The law was not bad. The law was good. We didn't use it well. Uh, but, but it was the most basic building block. And here, these people are born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're wanting to go back to living under the rules. They're wanting to go back to to Judaism, to functioning in um, basically in a form of religion without power. They're wanting to go back to that. And Paul calls that weak and miserable principles. He says, do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You're observing special days and months and seasons and years and I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. You know, he's really concerned about these folks and and where they're going with their faith and because they're wanting to go back under law and away from grace. That term, weak and miserable principles, okay? it uh, It means that It talks about something that is powerless. It has no power to affect any real change. The law does not have the power to change our hearts. So anytime we go back into legalism, anytime we go back into that approach to God, if I do the right things... Then God will love me if I do the right things. I'll be a good Christian. If I, you know, Christians should do the right things. But we've been through this a hundred times. It's got to come from the inside. It's got we've got to embrace the transformation of heart that the Lord brings, and then we begin to do things. Uh, Annie talked about it with tithing this morning. We can talk about it with reading the Bible. We read the Bible because we're hungry for Him, not not as an obligation to make Him happy. All right, we all of these all of these various things we could go through the list again. But so this weak and miserable principles, these are principles that are powerless to make change. They're impotent. They are devoid of life. And he uses this term uh, beggarly in other translations. And it means they possess nothing of true value. And again, it doesn't mean that there was something wrong with the law. It means it doesn't. It's It doesn't have the power. It doesn't have the power that grace has to actually change who we are and transform our lives from the inside out. Does that make sense? So, you know, I I just kind of stopped and asked myself, you know, what kind of outward restriction, all right, did we in our own lives was there something that we learned to depend on to be made right with God or move God to do something? Just had a discussion with somebody this week, and this is really a, it's a nuanced thing. But, but prayer, as important as prayer is, and as much as we are called to prayer, and, and, and there's power in prayer, we can end up in a place where we're dependent sort of on the fact that we prayed, the fact that we did it rather than the interaction with the Lord and the life that's released through that. And it's so subtle in our hearts a lot of times we don't even realize it. We don't realize that I'm, I'm and what usually happens is we start to get frustrated with God because something isn't changing that's always an indicator we've gotten off track someplace because if we're connecting with him in intimacy and we're feeding on him and we're spending time with him in that way, then we're going to be full of life. And yeah, we're doing what he's showing us to do. We're declaring what he's showing us to declare. We're praying, we're doing whatever we need to do in that situation, but our dependence remains on him. And so there's peace there. I, I hope that makes sense to you. But you know, so what might I have had in my life at some point that I was dependent upon, and at some point as I'm walking with God, I could start to go back to that. It's really something to watch out for. And um you know, he says here in that verse, uh the verses we just read, he mentions this thing about your you are observing special days and months and seasons and years. And in that, he was specifically talking about going back to observing the Jewish feasts and all of that, which are very alive, they're very wonderful. But all of that, as we'll see in just a minute, is it's all, it's, it's all now wrapped up in Christ and relationship with Christ. And they were going back as a religious observance to observing these different things. If I do this on these days... I will be pleasing to God. Instead of knowing that, no, it is through faith in Jesus Christ that I'm made pleasing to God, then I honor him every day of the week. Okay, So on the other side, on the worldly philosophies side, we are inundated with worldly philosophies. The world will tell you all day long what it should look like for you to walk with Christ. All day long. Uh, The world will tell you what it looks like to be a good person. And to be a moral person I'd be an entirely different morality than what we have in the scripture and what we see in God. But I had, and this is just, this isn't poking at anybody, this just came up this week, or was it, I guess it was last week, whenever Earth Day was, I I saw a post by somebody, and you know, it's fine with me, think about the environment, great. Um, But I saw a post from somebody that their quote was, on this most holy earth day, I want to tell you this. A, a good sign for me is that my heart in that didn't go to, what an idiot, sorry, <laughs> didn't go there, really. Instead, it went to, there's a person who's hungry for spiritual things. There, and And that's so much of what we see out there it is an indicator that God created us for spiritual things. And we can turn all kinds of things. We try to find our uh, our peace, our right relationship with, you know, anyway, I got the several posts are coming up in my mind right now that uh, different various names that people will use for you know, whether it's their higher power or it's this or it's that, anything but Jesus, you know, but I mean, for God, for the fact, you know, they'll, sometimes they'll say the universe did this, you know, but I'm really trying when I look at that to realize there's a God-shaped space inside that person and they're trying to fill it and they don't know how, and that's the church's responsibility. That's all of us that need to be introducing people to the real God. But when I saw that, this most holy day, I mean, to that person, that was a holy day, you know? And, and we have this tendency. And so the world has all these principles that we can go back to and we can use as, if I, if I honor this day in this way, that's what makes me a good person. And Paul's coming back and saying, all of those are weak, beggarly principles. They, they don't have any power to change your heart they may be a good thing to do, but they have no power to transform your life. Let's just look at, uh, well, darn it. Let's just look at, let me just read you this one. Colossians 2, 8 through 10 talks about the same thing. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. It's the same idea, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of the world rather than on Christ, for in Christ, All the fullness of deity, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and every authority. If you read those verses in the Amplified Bible, you'll really be blessed. Let me just stay with me just a couple more minutes. We still have five minutes here. All right. I I just want to get to the last part of this. We can come back to it. But in verses four and five, he says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights of sons. And I just want to uh, to fill you in on what that is. Paul is talking about, he says, so Christ came to redeem us so that we could receive the full rights of sons. He was referring to a Roman um, Legality, a Roman tradition of adoption, not the Jewish one, it's a little bit different. But this term, here's, here's what it means, and this is from uh, one of the one of my word study books. This term adoption, it means adoption when thus legally performed, put a man in every respect in the position of a son by birth to him who had adopted him. So when we come to Christ, come out from under the law, come into relationship with God by grace, we are put into the position of a son by birth. Every respect, we've been put into the same position as the son by birth. We never become Jesus, but we are brought into the family this is just, it's mind-boggling. On the, from God's perspective, we are brought into Christ. We are brought into the family on the same level as Jesus. Again, we're not Jesus. We're not the Messiah. We all get that. But here, here let me go on with this. So that this adopted son, okay, possessed the same rights and owed the same obligations as a child by birth possess the same rights. So our approach to the Father is just as open as Jesus' approach to the Father. That's why it's such a problem in some circles to be taught that you've got to have a go-between. You've got to have somebody between you and God, because God doesn't appreciate you. God does not, you know, you've got to have a saint talk to God. You've got to have Mary talk to God. You've got to have some your dead uncle talk to God. Anybody but you that's a problem. Because through adoption We've been brought, we have the same rights and we owe the same obligations. We don't think of Jesus owing obligations, but he took on flesh and he died on that cross to serve the father's purpose, right? The same obligations. Being a son involves, get this, I'm going to quit. The conformity of the child that has the life of God in him to the image, purposes, and Interests of God and that spiritual family into which He is born. So, this whole idea of adoption it brings us in, gives us the same rights, gives us the same obligations, and then there's an expectation of being conformed to the image, to the purposes, to the intents of God and of His family on the earth. So, there's a whole thing there about us. Realizing that we're a part of a family, realizing we're a part of the church, having both a a blessing, um, rights there and obligation there, and again, uh, that was the whole point was to rise up as the Lord leads us along and disciples us and trains us, and we grow up in Him through the years to move into that position where we are we're taking on the rights, but we're also taking on the obligations. Okay. Let's just stop there. There's so much we could say about that. Let's just stop there. Let's stand up. Let's pray together with the words you get something out of this. Thank you, Lord. Father. You know for the last several weeks, as we've been digging into these verses every week, I tell you this is just mind boggling. This is just there's where you have taken us as as children, where you have in what you've invited us into in this life and what you've provided for us through redemption and through making us your children, Lord. And and then, then that process of growth, Lord, that, that you do in us, that process of transforming us from one degree of glory to another. Father, it's so amazing. And, and what you hold in that for us, this idea that we would have the, the same rights and the same obligations. It's what you said. It's what our Bible says as as a son by birth, Lord, that Father, I, I just, I'm, I know for me, I, I can't grab it fully, but Lord, we want to grab it fully. And we want to assimilate those truths into our life and let them impact how we view ourselves and what we do. And, and Lord, how we view our roles in the body and with one another and in the earth and all of that, Lord. And we know that takes time, but Father, we invite you to just take these truths and continue to imprint us with them. I ask you to just work them on our hearts over the days, weeks, and years, Lord, and 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 bring us to that point of really grabbing hold of the immensity of what you have done for us in Christ. And Father, it's so humbling to see all of that and Father, we want to walk in it. Lord, we want to, even as we go out this week, Lord, you are sending us out as lights in dark places. You are sending us out as the church of Jesus Christ. And there are all kinds of people out there that need you so badly. They need that relationship with you. And you've called us to reach some of them. So we accept that. We re- accept that responsibility, and we but we keep our dependence totally, Lord, on you on your word, on your spirit, working in us to touch people. So, Father, as we go out, we ask you for the opportunities. We ask you to help us to minister to people, Lord. And, Father, if there's anybody in this room or or out there watching by live stream, or maybe we'll pick this up later off the archives, Father, our prayer, Lord, is that every person, if they haven't done it, Lord, that they would simply submit their hearts to you, Jesus, realizing that you are the Messiah. You are the one who died for our sins. It is your blood that was poured out for us. And that they would just pray that simple prayer of accepting and saying, I receive you as my Lord and Savior come into my life. Lord, we we give ourselves over to you. And Father, that's our prayer. Lord, that these words today, us as people, Father, we go out and change the world around us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we are having fellowship time without food. I know how well that always goes over, but hang around if you want to love on each other. It's great to be together and, um, and go out there this week and be the church. Okay. So we're going to say it as we always do on the count of three, Jesus is Lord over the Gunderson Basin in the world. And we'll be dismissed. If you need prayer, come on up, be happy to pray for you. All right. One, two, Three, Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.